Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Friends, uh, today's Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to uh, 17, and from the uh, New International Version. As they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethsage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there and her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle, and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they placed their cloaks on them so Jesus could sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of them, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna in the, to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables and the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? He, uh, they asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us your word to light our way, to guide us, to help us to know you more. We thank you we have this tremendous testimony, this, this account, these accounts of the life of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would enlighten our hearts, that we might listen to the children who sang that song and not despise those words, but those words might enter our hearts and change our hearts. 
Help us to receive Jesus, the true King, this morning ourselves so that we can be transformed. We pray this by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Well, when it comes to uh, TV advertisements, one of my favourites is one back from 1992 with Kate Blanchett in it, and uh, she was advertising Tim Tams. I'm not sure if it was Kate Blanchett that I was actually liked about the advert or the Tim Tams. Probably the Tim Tams. Always been a bit addicted to those. Um, But in the advert, I don't know if you remember it, but uh, this is actually Kate Blanchett's debut before she became famous. She's actually sitting in the attic with her boyfriend and they're going through this tray of Tim Tams, as you do, and she finishes off the last one. And while she's sitting there, she finds this sort of old brass lamp and she picks it up and uh, she rubs it by, I don't know, whether she did it intentionally or not. And then suddenly out of the lamp comes this genie who grants her three wishes. And so Blanchett, she looks at her empty packet of Tim Tams and she thinks, well, what I want for my first wish is to have a packet of Tim Tams that never runs out. Imagine that. Now, magically, the Tim Tam tray just suddenly fills up. Shazam! (laughs) And uh, then the genie tells her she's got two wishes remaining. But before she can get in her wishes, her very dull boyfriend says, and we'll have two more of them. It's hilarious, but also incredibly frustrating uh, because, um, and I know that it provoked a lot of discussion amongst my friends about what they would have done with those other two wishes. I mean, who wishes for two, for the same, for a, for, for a full, full tray of Tim Tams three times? It's ridiculous. Um, but uh, there, were, there are so many options available to them. But I guess we shouldn't be too hard on that poor fellow, should we? Because uh, not many of us are able to see and understand the full potential or the possibilities of something in the heat of the moment. Often we settle for far less than is possible in our lives as well. And I think unfortunately many of us, many people view Jesus and Christianity in a similar limited fashion, not seeing the full potential of what Jesus is offering and actually settling for less in their own Christian life. And I know that I've done that at different times myself. I've talked before in this, uh, to you about my own faith journey. Uh, when I first became a follower of Jesus, I was attracted to Jesus, particularly to his compassion and his radical acceptance of people who were on the margins of society. And even at 13 years of age, I was very aware that I was not good enough. I was not on a good trajectory and, if, and that if the Bible was true then I knew that heaven was not for me, not open to me. And so in many ways, my initial uh, decision of following Jesus was actually based on this future vision of eternity and not so much on the benefits of what encountering and knowing Jesus today could be like or could, could be while I'm living on earth. And so I basically saw Jesus, when I began to be a follower of Jesus, as a past a gate pass to heaven. 
I thought that if I believed the right things about God and I did the right things on earth, then I would gain entry into eternal life when I died. Now, I'm not suggesting that believing and doing, believing that and doing the right things are, you know, to enter eternity are, are not important. They are important. It is important to have a, have a secure knowledge of where you're going to be after this short life that we live. They are important to know those things. But I've also come to see in my life since that time, in the many years of following Jesus and seeing, reading scripture and having softer eyes and an open heart, that Jesus is actually wanting so much more for me and for each of us than that. So much more. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he spoke a lot about what Christ will do in people's lives. In, in, in a lot of his letters, in the letter to the Romans, he talked about being transformed by the renewing of your minds. In Ephesians, he talked, he prayed for the Ephesians that they, they, might, they might be enlightened in order to know the hope which Jesus called them to and the riches of his glorious inheritance. You see, Christ wanted to actually give people things. And at the end of his letter to the Ephesians, he also prayed that they would experience the incredibly deep love and power of Christ so that they could be filled filled with the Spirit so that they could be like God in nature. And nowhere in Paul's teachings does he talk about Jesus being just merely a ticket to heaven. You see, Paul has high expectations of what God will do in people through Christ. High expectations. It's more than pie in the sky when you die. It is transformation that begins in this life, on this earth, and continues on into eternity. And I suspect that I'm not alone in having had low expectations of what to expect from Jesus. I think that, low, that a low expectation for what Christ does is actually fairly common. And I think it's actually one of the reasons why people aren't actually attracted to Christianity or to Jesus and why even a lot of people leave the church. And so underlying a low appreciation of Jesus is often the belief that, that Christianity is just a set of moral principles or rules that people are meant to follow in order to get into heaven. When what Christianity really is, is really all about is a transformed life through being in a relationship with Jesus. It's about being transformed Today I want to suggest that, uh, that we need to see Jesus as he sees himself so that we can experience his transforming power in our lives both now and into eternity. Today is called Palm Sunday. I've got my little palm branch. Thank you for giving those out. It's a good reminder that it is Palm Sunday. And so Palm Sunday is the Sunday before Easter. And uh, when Christians remember how Jesus entered Jerusalem. And so it's an important moment in, in, in Jesus' journey to the cross and to resurrection. And it's actually told in all four Gospels. And so what, what we find in the story of, uh, that, that Eugene read to us is that Jesus 
as he came to the outskirts of Jerusalem, he was met by this very large crowd who honoured and celebrated his arrival as the king. And they, they honoured that and celebrated that by throwing palm branches onto the ground in front of him. That was symbolic for welcoming a king. And so leading up to this moment is the well-known story of Jesus sending two of his disciples into the village of Bethpage to get a donkey for him so that he could ride into Jerusalem on that donkey. And so we often, when we hear that story, we get, all, we get caught up thinking about, well, I wonder how Jesus knew where to find a donkey. You know, did he know that person? Was that just a miracle? So we can spend a lot of time and energy thinking about that, but we might miss the other significant parts of this story, which I want to focus on, the story, focus on, this, on this morning. You see, an important question in this story of Jesus entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday is why did Jesus ride a donkey into Jerusalem? Not where he found one, but why? You see, there aren't any other stories of Jesus riding donkeys in the Bible or horses or chariots. One thing that Jesus consistently did throughout his whole life is he walked everywhere. And even on his final trip, this one that he's on now, which was about 180 kilometres or so from Galilee up to Jerusalem, he walked the whole way. So why, why within just a few kilometres of the centre of Jerusalem does he suddenly call for a donkey to ride on into town? One thing we can be certain of is that uh, he didn't just do this because it was on his bucket list of things to do before he died. He, he wasn't just, well, I haven't ridden a donkey before. Why don't I do that? That wasn't the reason. There was a deeper and much more profound reason why Jesus called for a donkey and rode a donkey into Jerusalem. You see, people were already hailing him as king. That's what they were shouting out. Matthew says the crowds were there uh, who came to him to meet him, was shouting out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. You see that phrase, the son of David, it's, a, it's actually a term that's loaded with meaning. It's basically another way of declaring that, that this, this person who's coming, Jesus, he's a king like King David, their, their beloved king, their ideal king. And so this is a high praise sort of uh, song that they're singing as Jesus enters. But even though the crowd recognised Jesus as a king, their vision of Jesus as a king was for a particular type of king. You see, they saw him coming and what they were longing for and what they saw in him was a political king, a warrior king. And they wanted someone who would restore Israel's glory. They wanted someone who would kick Roman butt kick the Romans out of Israel. And the problem with this vision, though, what is the problem with that vision? Well, the problem with that vision is it's way too small. It's way too limited, as it only gives liberation to those Jews living at that time, and it didn't include any other ethnic communities, let alone any other people around the world. And so Jesus didn't reject being recognised as a king. 
He wanted people to recognise him as a king. But he didn't want them just to recognise him as a political king or as a warrior king. And so Jesus knew the crowd's view of him. And so he deliberately chose to enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey to show that he was not a warrior king, but instead the gentle king who was promised by other prophets like Zechariah and Isaiah, who all mentioned, and even far, far back as Genesis, they mentioned that the true king would come riding on a donkey. The true king who would be sent by God to liberate all people from the power of sin and death and who would usher in a new kingdom. That's who he wanted to identify as. In fact, in Isaiah, the, prof, in Isaiah, the prophet's vision of the true king was really radical. It wasn't just a political vision. He talked about transformation that would occur when this king came. That the true king would, and he talked about it in using picture language, really stark pictures. He says that the true king will bring justice to the poor and the needy. And he says the wolf will lie down with the lamb and the leopard with the goat and the infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest and they will neither harm nor destroy. These are strange images, aren't they, when you think about them? They sort of confuse us. In our world, these, the, these pairs of things don't go together. A bit like that Sesame Street song, remember, we used to sing? One of these things is not like the other one. I won't do anymore because Nathan showed us last week just how good a singer he was. The poor don't get justice. That's why they're poor. The wolf and the leopard, they never lie down with the lamb or the goat. They eat them. And the child playing near a, pate, a snake pit, that sends shivers up our spine, doesn't it? Because it only leads to one thing. We know that. And so if you see these pairs of things together in a movie, we know that ominous music starts to play, doesn't it? Dun it, dun it, dun it, dun it, dun it. And we anticipate disaster. But Isaiah's vision is not of a different world. It sounds like a different world. But it's a, it's a vision of our world that's transformed by God. His prophecy is telling us to expect God to do great things and to not have low expectations of him. The, the true king is not just handing out tickets to heaven. He will bring a glorious transformation to people and the earth and for eternity as well. Do you believe that this morning? Do you hope for that? Are you longing for that? Instead of terror and death, the king will bring peace, justice, transformation, beauty, completeness, flourishing. I love that word. Wholeness. Jesus knew these prophecies and he knew that he was the one who had been appointed to bring this transformation. In fact, at the very start of his ministry, back in Nazareth where he grew up, he told his hometown that, he, that his mission was to deliver holistic transformation to the world. That's a big vision, isn't it? I love it when people state their vision up front. And that's what Jesus did. In Luke chapter 4, he says, it says that when Jesus was in the synagogue in Nazareth, 
He was invited to get up and read the scriptures to the congregation. And so he stood up and he was handed the scroll from the book of Isaiah and he opened it and he read the following section. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he told the congregation, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Oh, and they loved it. They gave him a big clap. Oh, great. But then he told them that God was going to bring this liberation and transformation to all people and their faces fell because they thought that this was just for them, the Jews, and it made them angry, so angry that they drove him out of town. You see, they had low expectations of what God would do, limiting his transformation to just themselves and to their own immediate situation. But it wasn't just people in Nazareth who had limited and low expectations of what God would do through the true king. You see, the disciples who were with Jesus all those three and a half years, they really didn't have high expectations either. And also the other Jews around them, they also thought that this king was coming only to liberate them from the earthly tyrants in their lives. But Jesus' goal as king was to establish God's rule and reign on earth as it is in heaven. And so what is that rule and reign? What does that look like? Well, when God rules and reigns in our lives, it means that Jesus is alive and active in the life of his people, transforming their whole lives. It's not just a ticket to heaven. Every relationship that they have, not just with people, but with, with, with the, the environment as well, with God, they're all transformed into the character and nature of God. That's what God wants to do in your life. That's a really big vision and that's a really exciting vision, friends. But a small vision for what God can do and low expectations of Jesus is why so many people are not interested in Christianity today. And it might be, it may be that you feel disgruntled yourself with your own spiritual journey because you have an incomplete or a low vision of what God can do. There's a serious lack of hope in the world. But people don't know where to find hope. People are addicted to food, to drugs, to pornography, to gambling, to sex, to pleasure. Literally pouring themselves into these things, having high expectations of them, but finding that they, have, they get no meaning or satisfaction from them. But if we're honest, we don't know where true satisfaction is to be found because none of these things, they do the, none of them do the job. People are more anxious, depressed, stressed, fear, fearful of dying, but also fearful of living. But we don't know how to stop feeling this way. People are also desperate to find love, but also surprisingly desperate to find out how to love others unconditionally, but we don't know where to get the power from to do those things. And instead, many of our intimate relationships focus on sex, just alone, without, without love. We live in a rich suburb one of the, in one of the richest countries on earth, 
And by many indicators, people appear to be satisfied and appear to be living the good life. But if you dig down, if you scratch a little deeper, you'll find that, you, you'll find that things are quite different. Professional people, educated people, people with great jobs, large houses, tables full of food are actually living lives of quiet desperation. Hungering and longing for tangible peace, for hope, for meaning, for love. In many ways, we are just like the crowd who had come to welcome Jesus, who were looking and searching for life's deepest meanings in the wrong places and through the wrong things. So what kind of king then is Jesus if he's not a political or warrior king? Matthew says that he's a king who comes gentle and meek, riding on a donkey. Matthew didn't make this image up. He didn't just come to him. He's quoting directly from the prophet Zechariah after seeing Jesus come into town in this way. And so by coming as a gentle king riding on a donkey, Jesus is actually sending a, sending a message. And the message is that deliverance from Roman oppression is not a high enough expectation because it's non-transformative. A warrior king can get rid of the Romans but a warrior king doesn't stop the newly liberated people from becoming oppressors themselves. The sort of king, that sort of king doesn't deal with all your needs that need transforming. He doesn't deal with your guilt and your shame. Getting rid of external oppressors does nothing about your deep sense of emptiness and inferiority that impact that impacts how you live. Sure, being under Roman rule is a kind of slavery, but, there is a, but there's actually a slavery that goes far deeper than that slavery to Rome. And this, this is a slavery that we have without Christ to sin and death. Jesus comes gentle and meek riding on a donkey to show people that he's the true king who's come to transform and liberate people from sin and death and the results of those things in our lives, the broken relationships that we experience on a daily basis. And so the paradoxical nature of Jesus coming as a gentle king is sublime. You see, if, if you actually think about it, if the king of kings actually comes gentle and riding on a donkey, giving his life away instead of taking other people's lives to gain power, and you receive this king, then what happens is that he turns you into a gentle king as well. And this is actually transformative for you, but it's also transformative for the people around you. To experience transformation beyond surface level change, you need to accept Jesus as the king who comes gentle and meek and riding on a donkey. You see, this is the only view of Jesus that will stop you from continuing to grasp after the things that don't satisfy and that don't deliver and that it will actually open you up to receiving his transforming power in your life. But how do we know that this, transforming, this transformation is real? And how do we know that it's possible in my life today? So you might see it in the Bible you might hear me talk about it, but what you want to know is, can this be my experience? You may think, 
that I'm speaking hyperbole this morning, but I'm not. We know it is possible to be transformed because people who recognise Jesus as the true King, who, bring, who brings transformation, experience that transformation themselves. In fact, if you read Matthew's Gospel, I want to encourage you to read Scripture, but read a Gospel, they're great. They really get us to really come to grips with who Jesus is. But one of Matthew's main themes in his Gospel is to show his readers that actually Jesus is the true king who was sent to transform the earth and its inhabitants into God's kingdom people. And we know this because Matthew doesn't waste any time in doing it. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, he starts his account saying that this gospel account is about Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the true king. It's about the work and ministry of the true king. And then through the rest of the gospel, he shows us, slowly reveals people coming to recognise this for themselves. But it's not the religious people who recognise this. It's not the disciples who recognise this. The people who recognise it are people who are desperate themselves, who know that they need transformation. Do you know you need transformation this morning? Are you desperate for that transformation this morning? There are people who are aware that they are out of options. And being out of options makes you open and sensitive to the work of the Spirit. Two groups of blind men in Matthew call out to Jesus as he passes by on the road. And what do they call out? They address him. They call out and, and call to him, Son of David, and they ask for his mercy. And he delivers them. They are healed. And then of tenacious Canaanite woman, comes to him who's desperate for him because her, her daughter is possessed or troubled by demonic spirits. Jesus at first doesn't respond to her, but she persists. She recognised who Jesus was and she wasn't going to let go. She saw him as the son of David, the true king, which is really weird because she's not a Jew. She's a Canaanite. She worshipped other gods. How would she have known that history? Well, God revealed to that to her. And she grasped it and she hung on to it. And Jesus delivers her from that terrible oppression. And finally we hear in the temple children who see Jesus again ministering to lame people and blind people, they start to sing as well about the son of David as they saw him do this. What can we learn from them today, so that we can experience transformation ourselves. For one, they knew that they needed transformation. That's the start of transformation. To admit you need transforming, to, to admit that your life is not really on the trajectory that you would like it to be. Second, they knew that self-help, moralism, a political transformation wasn't going to cut it. Third and vital, they were bold enough to seek and ask Jesus. You see, ignoring the voices around them, which told them to be quiet or to forget about it. They ignored those and went forward in boldness. They had greater expectations and saw Jesus for who he truly is. 
the true king through whom transformation comes. Friends, to experience transformation, you also need to embrace Jesus' vision of himself, which is that he's the gentle king who comes riding on a donkey because it's only by accepting this Jesus that you will actually open yourself up to his rule and his reign and his power to transform your life. All other views of Jesus actually just leave you on the throne of your own life. And how does that go? Not very well. If you have a limited view of Jesus this morning and a limited view of what he can do, then I want to encourage you to admit this to him, to confess that and to ask him to help you see him as he truly is and boldly ask him, like the blind man, blind men, to transform you so that you can experience the glorious riches of his inheritance that he wants to give you. It's all there, an inheritance so rich that we're not tapping into. Friends, to experience transformation in this life, beyond surface level change, beyond just a gate pass to heaven, you need to accept that your king comes, gentle and meek and riding on a donkey. This is the only vision that will stop you continuing to grasp after those things that will never satisfy, never deliver you. This morning we heard Rose's testimony. Wasn't it a wonderful testimony? She's a woman who suffered for a long time. Her father was taken away from her during the war, imprisoned. She was eight. She never saw him again. There's great pain in that. I heard that pain the other day. She told me that story again with Bev. We heard the impact that this has had on her life. It left her in pain, traumatised for 79 years. (laughs) A king who comes to just get Rosa out of hell and into heaven is way too limited. That's not only what Rosa needed in her life, She needed much more than that. And Jesus has given her much more than that. What she needed to experience is transformation in this life as well. She needed to experience peace now. Hope now. Freedom from that pain now. She needed the ability to go on and forgive those who caused that trauma and pain in her life. And this is what Rosa has experienced in her life because she recognised that she could not deliver herself from these things, but Jesus could. And that he'd come to transform her life. And guess what? You see, if this can happen to Rosa, it can happen to you as well. Do you believe that? There's nothing that's off limits to the transforming power of Christ. Friends, some of us here this morning are carrying heavy burdens, heavy burdens of guilt, of shame, deep hurt, addictions, identity confusion, self-hatred, fear. Today I want to invite you to see that your king comes gently on a donkey, gentle and meek, riding into Jerusalem to die and rise again so that, so that he can transform you 
in this life and into the next. What will you do with that offer this morning? I want to encourage you to be bold today, friends. Be bold. The blind men were bold and they, and they, uh, they had high expectations of Jesus and they received their sight. The Canaanite woman, she was bold. She had great expectations of Jesus for her son and she received her daughter back. The children sung exuberantly about Jesus as the true king after recognising his transforming power. What will you do with Jesus this morning? What are your expectations for him, of him? As we move into a time of communion, which is a time when we focus on what Christ has done for us on the cross, I want to invite you to tell Jesus. I want you to tell him individually (laughs) that you see him as the son of David, the true king who has come to transform the world, to transform you. If you recognise Jesus as the true King today, I want you to encourage you to repeat after me the following words, that all the people who are transformed by him, if you read these about these people in Scripture, if you look at the blind men and the Canaanite woman, even the crowd, you hear them say this, I want you to repeat it after me if you want this for yourself. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. Why don't you repeat that with me? Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. Let's say it again. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. As the band comes up and as we move into a time of communion, this is an individual message for us this morning, but it's also a message for us as a community, you see, because we are a community who recognize, who want to recognize Jesus as the son of David. But if we have this vision of Jesus as the son of David coming gently on a donkey and we grasp that, we will experience the full breadth, depth and weight of his rule and reign and salvation in our lives. And guess what? We become like him. And as this occurs, the people around us will see him and us and they'll seek him as well because he's attractive. Can you see, friends, why we need to grasp Jesus' vision of himself today for ourselves but also for the people around us who we want to see transformed? As we move into a time of communion, as we focus on, the, on what Jesus has done for us, through the bread and the the cup. I want you to take a moment, just in reflection as, uh, as Perry plays, I want you to, uh, I invite you to reflect on your expectations of Jesus. What are they? Maybe it's time to confess that you've had low expectations of him or no expectations of him. But you want to have expectations of him. You want him to fill you and deliver you, transform you. Then I want to encourage you to tell Jesus that. Ask him to help you have higher expectations. Ask him to help you see Jesus as he truly is. Let's take a moment to reflect on that.